0: The following program is furnished by Startup Nation Media Group.
1: Welcome to this edition of Startup Nation Radio. This is our Ask the Expert show where... We get to learn from key experts in areas of startup launch, startup growth, you know, how you how you get your business rolling and the key resources you need and the areas you need to cover in order to make it happen. We're bringing the experts with their advice and guidance on how to do it optimally, whether that be HR issues or online marketing and everything in between, insurance and other things we cover here on Startup Nation Radio. Today, we've got our regular online marketing expert, our guru, Shea Berman, joining us to kick this program off. Shay, everyone wants to know they've got a great idea. But you know, no great idea is worth anything really from a business standpoint unless you can create that ever-critical awareness, traction, action, sales. And that's what we're trying to achieve here for these businesses tuning in today. Shay, welcome to Startup Nation Radio. Thanks as always for having me on, Jeff. Glad to be here today. Good to have you. So I mean it when I say it. You're our guru. It's amazing what you're able to deliver uh, you know, in, in ways that we can really dial into, understand, and use. That's the key thing. It's information that we can use ourselves to uh, make our businesses go. So, again, we're focused on talking to you, Shay, about how to create that awareness and then awareness leading down the funnel to uh, you know, all those conversion points, critical conversion points along the funnel to ultimately sales. Let's start with creating the awareness, the inbound traffic. A great friend, a small business, a great friend of business anywhere, but certainly small business, one, one just blocking and tackling thing you've got to do. Is you got to think about search engine optimization, right? Yeah, search engine optimization is you know, what a lot of small businesses rely on because
2: you can earn that media and you can continue to capitalize on people finding you in Google
1: and other search engines when they're seeking for a business or a service just like the one you are or provide. So let's remind everyone at a high level. What is search engine optimization? And just very generally, how does it work? Yeah, so search engine optimization,
2: also shortened as SEO, is a process of getting your business to show up better on the first page of Google for search keywords that would be relevant to you. There's really like hundreds of ways you can get better rankings on the first page of Google, but we break them down to four major categories. Number one is a fast, mobile-friendly, responsive website Number two is the right keywords in your website. Number three is how you build links from other high-trust websites to yours. And number four is your use of social media and directories.
1: So we're going to get into, in a minute, we're going to get into talking about how to execute each one of those things. And, you know, look every small business is faced. Do I do this on my own? Do I hire someone to do it? And of course, we can get into that part of the discussion as well. But what we're focused on here is if you decide you're in the early going here, you don't have a lot of extra budget, you're going to do some of this on your own. We're going to help guide you to how to do this on your own. Right, Shay? That's the goal here. We're going to do our best. That's Do right. our best. Of course. Of course. And then, you know, there's nothing, there's no substitute for going to an expert. Uh, that's for sure. Okay. So let's just break this down a little further. Then we'll start to dive into some of the tips. No, and I think one of the major changes that the internet brought was kind of the shift from all advertising and promotions, everything being pushed on me as a consumer to really the consumer then being able to very directly ask for something that they're interested in, right? I mean, they go into Google, as you said, they go into a search engine and they they ask for it. I want to find a new lawnmower. I want to buy one locally. I, I enter that into the search term and up comes the lawnmowers. Before, I had to either call a store, go through a catalog, Happen upon a billboard on the expressway, whatever it may be. And it was really more random in nature. This change brought on by the internet ties a consumer directly to what it is that they want, but only if you end up at the top of the results or near the top, you know, right? That's the key.
2: Yeah, it really reshuffled the deck because we used to have your big box retailers, as you mentioned, or like traditional advertising just out there, and people knew you go to the store and look for the product or. You drive around and maybe you see something on a billboard, you get a flyer in the mail, and now people just search what they want and
1: what shows up is what they look at.
2: So if you're not there, you're not an option to all
1: these people who are searching. Yeah, and first and fundamentally at the heart of all this, before you can really take advantage of SEO, you have to give a place for people to drive to with their query, right, with their search. So fundamentally, this all starts with having to have a web presence. Does that mean fundamentally website yeah, you really
2: can't do search engine optimization without a website today. You know, let's say seven, eight years ago, a small local business, maybe even a niche might be able to get away with just a, a Google Map listing and rank. But today, there's so many factors that go into how Google rank you or not rank you online. If you don't have a website, you won't be in those top 10 to 15
1: results. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, I hear people ask, they say to me, well, listen, I I just, you know, uh, sell to only physical in-store traffic. I'm not interested in e-commerce and all the rest. What do I need a website for? But I mean, this makes the point. If you want to get found, even if you want to drive traffic into your store, you got to have that website at the heart of driving that search and get found activity that SEO allows you to do. So when, you know, next time Anybody calls in or asks, do I need a website? You bet you do. You need a website whether you're selling e-commerce or not. You need a website to get found, right, Shay? I mean, that's key.
2: Yeah, you you need that website to get found. and, And kind of going back on what SEO really means, SEO used to just mean getting to rank on the first page of Google. But SEO has expanded its definition to understand getting you to rank so you're an option, but then getting the person to buy. So that website presence, even your social media now plays a role in the buying decision. You can be seen, but if they don't like what they see, your SEO is useless.
1: So tell me about that. Are you talking about the quality of the presentation on the site once I land there?
2: Yeah, and even, you know, they say about almost 80% of people use social media in their buying decision-making process. So if you get found through SEO, they find your website and it looks good, and they go to check out your social media and it's not there or not looking great, you will lose all of that value you've built. So SEO doesn't just encompass Getting to the first page now. A good SEO company or good SEO strategy will encompass also how you convert the people who do find
1: you. Okay, so we're going to get into detail. We're going to run to a break right now. We've now got them landed, uh, or you know, we we now know that we need a website. We've got a website, and now we're ready to drive traffic to our site. We're going to educate everybody out there with these various tips you're going to provide to us. we'll do a little deeper dive. We'll go back to your list. And we'll roll it out here in the next segment. And uh, hopefully, this will be really helpful information so you can execute some really productive SEO on your own behalf. Shay, stick with us. We'll be right back after this break. All right, welcome back to Startup Nation Radio. This is our Ask the Expert show. We're right now focused on how to drive traffic to your website. We're talking online marketing. We've got our online marketing expert with us, Shay Berman. Now, if you have a question, you can reach us at 800. 800- 859-0957. Call in. We'll get you connected directly to our experts on the show today, and and you'll be able to get answers to your questions. So Shay, we uh, we set up in the first segment the importance of a website, what search engine optimization is, and now we're going to talk about some tips. You've got a list of tips you want to give to us so that we can um, optimize our SEO performance and uh, make the most of this. You know, just really critical and fundamental online marketing technique. That's right. Start with number one, Shay.
2: Yeah, first thing is a website. We touched on it briefly in the last segment, but without a website, you can't do SEO. You don't have a place to put your keywords, to link back to, to direct social media posts to. So really the SEO all starts with a great website. Now, there's some important factors in websites. It's not just about having a website. It needs to be a cleanly coded website. Those do-it-yourself website builders like GoDaddy, Wix, Weebly.com, they won't cut it. They are built poorly, unintentionally, because they're trying to build something that's going to be great for the user who's building them, the the layman, the new small business owner. But because of that poor coding, they won't rank well on Google. You also need to make sure your website's fast. Without a fast website, especially as of March of this year, your website will be penalized and can't rank well on Google because speed is so important in the user experience for a Google user to Google.
1: And when we refer to speed, let me just ask, Shay, we're talking about loading time. Is that right? Yeah, the loading time of a page. They call it a first content full paint load time. It's okay. a mouthful. Yeah, because if your site is really laggy and it takes long to load, they mark you down for that and you'll go lower in the search, right? Correct. Yep. Especially as of March of this year, there's a big algorithm update
2: that spoke to that. Okay. And so we talked about the clean code, the fast website, and most people know this today, but mobile responsiveness. And what do these three things have in common? Mobile responsiveness, you know that uh, mobile, tablet, desktop view, the speed, and the cleanly codedness. All of these things have to do with the user experience. Google is preferring companies in the search results that have the best user experience for their Google
1: users. Okay, that's good to know, Shay. Now, we've got a caller on the line. Let's go to a caller. We've got Janie from Claussen Shay, who's got a question for you.
2: Hi,
3: Jeff. My husband and I are opening up a garden center in
1: Clawson and we have started our website and we just want to understand better how our customers, when they do a Google search, say they're looking for lawnmowers or they're looking for garden tools or whatever, how do we make sure that they're actually going to the correct page on our website for lawnmowers and they're not going to the page that has the flower basket.
2: So Janie, that's a great question. And ultimately, you're not in control of where people land. Google kind of makes the rules on what shows up in a Google search result, but you can lead Google in the right direction. And that brings me to my point number two, keyword usage. You want to make sure you're putting the right keywords that people are actually using to search for a business like yours in the right places in your website. So Jeff, if you put the right keyword, let's say for that lawnmower on the lawnmower page and you optimize the lawnmower page for lawnmowers, most likely Google's going to show your lawnmower page instead of your weed whipper page, as an example. So you don't have to worry too much because if you're just doing what's right by laying out your website properly and talking about the right things on the right pages and not merging things together, as some people like to do, Google's going to show the right pages
1: as are appropriate based on the content on that page. All right, Janie, thank you. Janie from Clawson, thanks for asking your question. All right, Shay, so this now moves us to your third tip that you want to provide to us today, and that is link building. Shay.
2: Yes, so link building is something that a lot of people leave to the wayside because they either don't understand it or don't want to get into it because it's so confusing. And you know what? I don't blame them. If I wasn't a search engine optimization person myself or was in marketing myself, link building would be the furthest thing that I was able to understand. But ultimately, link building is actually very simple. It's just hard to do. Link building is a process of taking your website, your domain, your link, and putting on other websites all over the internet that have a higher trust with Google than your own. We call that trust a domain authority. Now, the hard part here is identifying websites with the right domain authority, getting your content onto those websites that links back to you. That's the hard part. That's not only labor intensive, but it takes a lot of great tools and great research to identify where you should reach out to, who you should write content for,
1: and what that content should be about. All right, and so you do all of these things. You put all these tips, these really important tips that you've given us today to work for you and your site and your company, your business. How do you know, what tools do I use to know if it's working?
2: To know if it's working, you can use a lot of different tools like Google Analytics. You can use SpyFu, Hrefs. There's a lot of SEO tools out there. Ultimately, how to define if it's working, there's three tiers. There's am I getting better rankings, there's am I getting more website traffic, and am I getting more calls and or inquiries because of my rankings and website traffic. Ultimately, rankings and website traffic means nothing if it's not converting. But remember, back at the beginning of our segment, conversion isn't just about ranking, it's about how you look online in all aspects of your digital marketing.
1: And and I think it's really critical to remind everyone the reason I asked the question about how do I know if it's working, It's a little bit of, you know, behind the magic curtain kind of stuff going on here. You know, I mean, you put the stuff to work. It can take time. Well, let me ask you this. Am I able to track directly the results of an SEO campaign versus, let's say, inbound traffic from social or inbound traffic from I handed out a business card or from wherever else it may happen, my billboard on the expressway? How do I differentiate traffic driven by my effort into SEO versus other things I may be doing?
2: It's really easy to differentiate from like paid advertising for sure because if you're doing Google ads or Facebook ads, you should have you know separate funnels for them, meaning you know this is a call from Google because it's recorded by your Google ad line. You know this is a Facebook ad lead because it's coming through through a Facebook ad lead form. The way you can differentiate your organic traffic, your organic leads that come through from everything else you do is by subtraction. If you get 100 leads in a month and 20 are tracked by Google ads, 20 are tracked by Facebook ads. 10 people came to your organic social media. Well, the rest, that should be your SEO. Of course, minus the referrals and you know, word of mouth that you have too. But you get to your SEO results through subtraction of the other mediums.
1: And that's critical because as a small business owner, you only have so much resource to expend to drive attention and you know drive leads and so on. And, and I mean, when I say resource, that's both time and money, uh, money and time. And so you really want to use your time in an optimal way. And, and one of the key things you're able to do on the internet is to really understand directly and much more close to real time than we were able to do before the internet, what's working and what isn't. And then to really focus on that as a main channel, uh, you know, as, as a main activity to drive business. Yeah. And I think that tracking piece, I don't even want to just say it's important. It's crucial. If you're not going to
2: track your marketing, if you don't know what's coming from where, there's really no point in doing these things. So we have to track what we're doing at all times.
1: Yeah, and let's finish with one as We wrap this segment. One last thing. What is kind of the difference between what I get doing this on my own versus using a professional?
2: The difference is most people who do it on their own guess which keywords people are using online to search for them. They try to put the keywords into the website the best they can without knowing Google's rules. They don't know how to link build and they don't understand how social media plays a role fully. So, when you hire an expert, you'll get the best keywords to go after in your selection. You'll get your website fully optimized in terms of speed and all the other factors. You'll know how dense the keywords should be, like whether it's five or seven or 15% keyword density in your website. You'll do the proper link building techniques and you'll have the system in place to reach out to other website content editors to get those links. And ultimately,
1: your social media will be fully optimized to support all of that. Right on. Shay, Shay Berman, your digital can't thank you enough for being on, sharing this good wisdom for us. I mean, this really is the blocking and tackling. If you're going to be in business, this is something, this being SEO is something you must have on your radar and you must be attending to and, and, and executing uh, to the best of your ability or hiring an outside firm like Chase to do it for you. Shay, thank you very much for being on Startup Nation Radio today and sharing that important wisdom. Thank you, as always, for having me on. Excited to see you all next time. All right. Good to have you on. Thanks again. And now back with more on our Ask the Expert show here on Startup Nation Radio right after this break. All right. Welcome to Startup Nation Radio. This is our Ask the Expert show. We're going to bring on a series of experts who are going to help you get set up right in business right from the start. We've got Greg Packer. He's president of Access Point. You deal in human resources, all things human resources. Greg, welcome to Startup Nation Radio. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. Good to see you again. Good to have you on. And, uh, you know, entrepreneurs by nature are kind of big picture kind of people. They're like the big ideas, the big marketing plan. How are we going to make this go viral? The 20,000 foot perspective. You, you got it. Okay. <laughs> that's So those are entrepreneurs, certainly founders. You know, they tend to have that kind of mindset. They're and that's how business gets started. That's where great ideas come from. That's the drive and everything else. But what can tend to happen is really important details can get left by the wayside or forgotten or missteps can occur as a result of that and so on. Right, Greg? And getting set up the right way right from the start is critical.
3: Oh, absolutely. You hear some of the big name stories where I think it was uh, either Facebook or Apple one of the examples where one of the early... Only guys working in the garage with the founder, you you know, thought that he had equity or had a deal or whatever, and then waits and litigates that when it's a a multi-billion dollar discussion as opposed to if things have been documented properly and addressed correctly. Well,
1: and understandably in the early going, it's easy to say that doesn't really matter, you know, Right. right? Right. It doesn't really matter right now, but these kinds of things, should you be successful, matter greatly. They can matter greatly down the road. Very much so. Yeah. And in particular, in the human resources department, boy, if you don't set that up right, you can set yourself up for litigation, disappointments, you know, ugliness, all that kind of stuff that, you know, wait, I thought you said this or I thought you meant that or so documenting things and setting up properly. Now, in the HR department, what are some of the key things we should be thinking about in terms of getting ourselves set up right and protecting our young business right from the get go? I think
3: probably the best thing is to make sure you're talking to somebody that can advise you on how to do it right. It's a very easy area to cut corners where people think, oh, I'll just pay them cash. I'll pay them by 1099. It's too complicated to say, I don't want to deal with benefits. I don't want to have to have workers' comp. Well, those are laws. They're not really open for interpretation. It's very clear. Right. You know, the IRS, the Department of Labor, all of this infrastructure has been created by the various governmental entities to make sure that employees are protected. The labor unions exist to protect employees, and they've helped to lobby for these rules and regulations. And there really isn't much gray area, and ignorance of the law is never an excuse.
1: And you can probably get away with it if you're one of these companies that bubble up and disappear within the year. You know, people starting businesses and shutting them down all the time. If you're one of those, you might get lucky. You might be able to skate through and not get noticed. But, you know, we're all in it to be successful. And if you are successful, that's when you get noticed, right? I mean, I, I think, you know, yeah. whether it's professional investment coming into the company, demanding to see that the company's set up right, or whether it's, you know, uh, just uh, getting to a, a level of notice by state or federal agencies that say hey, this business isn't doing things the right way.
3: Yeah. I think if you want to sentence yourself to a lifetime of being a very small business, then you could probably cut some of those corners. And the example I always use is if you're Joe's plumbing and heating and Joe Jr. works for you and. Joe's wife and your wife run the office, you can cut a lot of corners. But if you want to be in a business, you know, a technology business, you hope to scale it and bring in some private equity investment or some venture investment, you know, they're going to be combing through your books with a fine-tooth comb. They're going to want to make sure that everybody who you've had working for you was paid properly, that they received a W-2, that there's workers' comp coverage, that there's no hidden liabilities because the last thing they want to do is be the one sitting at the table with deep pockets when somebody litigates a matter.
1: Right, that's for sure. So let's talk some blocking and tackling here and get right down to brass tacks and make sure we get, you know, I'm a company. I'm going to start up, let's say I'm going to hire a couple of employees to start. It's not Joe Jr. It's, right. it's uh, I don't know who they are. They're third party, independent right. people. They came, they interviewed for the job. I hired them. They're brought onto the company. And it's the three of us in this small little enterprise now that's taking off. How do I set myself up right specifically? What are the key things I need to do more than anything else to check those boxes to make sure I'm okay?
3: Well, let's assume since we're sitting in Michigan that you're, you're yep. starting your business in the state of Michigan. Sure. You need to register with the state of Michigan okay. as an employer. Let them know you exist. Get your employer identification right, number. So I got an
1: business. EIN number from the federal government.
3: You use that to then apply for your various state things to pay withholding taxes at the state level. Yeah. Mainly to set up with the unemployment agency for the state of Michigan. Yeah. To pay your state unemployment tax. The state unemployment agency is sort of the arbiter of employer status, and they are the ones who will come after you if you if you don't do it. Actually, one of their big initiatives right now, we've seen a number of the clients we work with are getting audit requests where the state is wanting to come out and look at petty cash accounts, bank accounts to see if companies have been paying people cash and not reporting it. And just paying 1099 is not reporting it. If the person is an employee, they must be paid via a W-2 vehicle, so.
1: Right, and so let's talk about that for a second. What makes a person, This, is, believe it or not, even small business owners ask all the time. I know this is a subject of confusion. Oh, absolutely. Where do you cross over from being allowed to claim someone as a 1099 as opposed to crossing over into a W-2 employment situation?
3: The simple line would be almost never there's almost never really a circumstance when somebody is going to come into your place of business and provide services that they will qualify as a 1099, unless they are legitimately a consultant. If you, if you bring in a bookkeeping service and they send an accountant or bookkeeper to do, you know, a job once a week to work on your books, that would qualify. But if you have somebody that's coming in, writing code for you, you're working at the receptionist desk, doing sales there's almost no circumstance where they will wow. generally qualify as a 1099 and non-employee. Even
1: if that person is, let's say, got three other or five other accounts that they're working for.
3: Again, if they have a business set up and they're providing services. Right, okay. But some of the criteria for the IRS test is can they have anybody else perform the services? So if it's the kind of a job where, you know, if the bookkeeper is suddenly goes down ill and they can send somebody else out to do the bookkeeping work, then that starts to look more like an independent contractor status. Wow. But if you want that particular person if you had a salesperson for Startup Nation, you wouldn't want just anybody out there plying the trade. You want to have the person you engaged with. Right. So that's really the criteria is that it's very, very rare. It used to be like in the hair salon business and places like that, but the IRS has been cracking down on the whole concept of renting chairs. But I would say in the audience that we're probably talking to, you know, startup businesses, technology type businesses, there's almost no examples. Again, outside of that bookkeeping sort of thing, accounting type work, legal work, But somebody who's showing up at your office most days or working even from home most days, if you're paying them hourly, almost no chance that you're going to qualify for independent
1: contract. So right there. I mean, that's good guidance on that. That's critical. I think people don't have that impression. You know, I think that's a good thing to make sure you are very sensitive to And, and and careful of.
3: And where you get tripped up is marriage is always great. Divorce is always ugly. So if somebody leaves and now you're no longer paying them a 1099 check, they can't file for unemployment. They go File. The agency says, well, you should have been eligible. So they they do an investigation and they come out and audit your business. You have to not pay unemployment taxes for the last three years on everybody who's been there, regardless of the status. You can't just choose and say, you know what? And I hear this from small business owners all the time. Oh, we just 1099 that we didn't want all the headaches and hassles of W-2. Well, that's not a choice you have. That's what the law
1: is. So you would say, if we're setting up that small business hypothetical that I mentioned early on, uh, I'm the founder, I've got two employees now and so on, you'd say, just automatically set them up their w two. yes. I don't even want to hear the but the you know the ifs, the ands or the 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 stuff on the margins. Set them up as w twos to set up yourself upright and protect yourself and your business.
3: It's a quarter that it's not worth cutting. It's yeah. not it's like not having homeowners insurance right. If you set the person up as a w two employee, your very first employee, and then you get workers' comp coverage, it might cost you six or seven hundred dollars a year to get workers' comp coverage on that employee. But if they get into a car accident on the way to the post office to drop off mm. your mail and they're out of work for three years, you will be personally liable for that because it's the law that you have to provide workers' comp coverage for somebody who you employ.
1: That's really good. Greg, and are there other things? I mean, that, that was, that's the meat of the act right there. But are there other things that we should think about? I
3: just think throughout the entire employment process, doing things right. Yeah. When you get to the 20-person threshold, complying with COBRA. When you get to the 50-person threshold, yeah. complying with those rules and regulations. It's just, if you want to be able to scale a business and have a lot of success and and enjoy the rewards of your hard work, better to dot the I's across the T's properly.
1: Absolutely. I always tell people, you know, if you're going to start a business and you want to be successful, assume that you're going to be successful from day one and set your business up as though you're going to be successful and that you're going to get noticed as a result. You're not going to be able to fly under the radar on these issues. It's going to come back to haunt you if you don't set yourself up right. I think that's absolutely critical. You know, we talk about HR, but who knew all that about 1099s, really? I can tell you the majority of people sitting in businesses don't know what you just told us, and that was good advice. I'm sure there's a million other things. You said right from the get-go, get someone who can help you. Get set up right. You can certainly do that on uh, your team at Access Point. How do they reach you? at www.apteam.com. Is that that would be perfect. And, you can, and you can get a hold of you guys right through yeah, there. Yeah, we're
3: happy to help. Yeah. Any questions we can answer, support we can provide?
1: Well, you're a great guy. and One of the reasons we picked certain people specifically to be on Startup Nation Radio is that at Startup Nation, we have a goal. We have a mission. That's to help people get started and get started right. And I know you feel exactly the same way. You're a good advocate and a good friend. We appreciate it, Greg. Thank you for being on and giving us some good, important guidance on getting set up right from the get-go on HR matters. Appreciate it.
3: Thank you. Thanks for helping businesses get started. A rising tide floats all boats, It does,
1: doesn't it? It It really does. does. And we need, you know, businesses are being started at record numbers these days. We're happy to see that we want them more than being started. We want them to be successful. Absolutely. Right way on. We want them to thrive. Greg, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, back Chef. with more on Startup Nation Radio right after this break. All right, welcome back to this edition of Startup Nation Radio, our Ask the Expert show. And in this segment, we, we normally, uh, Michael Spath, by the way, welcome. Thanks Appreciate for Appreciate you man. being on. Yeah, you're, now you're our insurance expert. You, you help us get that peace of mind that comes with making sure you have all the right coverages in place for your small business owner. On this edition, however, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach. You know, I actually prompted this by saying to you, you must hear some unbelievable stories and come across some unbelievable things and some claims that you just have to shake your head at.
0: Well, I think when you get together with other insurance agents or brokers and you're at a party or something like that, like you're going to have a good time because everybody's got the story. And they're going to try to one up the next story, sure. right? <laughs> hey, it's like, what's the, what's the craziest thing you ever encountered? And then, and then the person's like, well, wow, you, you haven't heard anything yet. Let me, of course. let me drop this. And so right. I always say too, I mean, like if you go to a party and someone's like, oh, that's my friend, Michael He's an insurance agent. Like you should come to me. You shouldn't like walk away. Like I'm not talking to the insurance guy. Like all I was going to try to do was sell me insurance. So you no, know, we come across a lot of them all the time. One fairly recently, and for the sake of keeping my career,
1: I'm going to yes. I'm going to ab- abstain names, yes, right, and gonna, locations. Gonna, it, purify the data, right? Yeah. I mean, you're going to sterilize the data. So no names, no nothing, right? So we we have a client who's a
0: high net worth person, you know, makes a lot of money, and he has a number of homes. Which is fairly normal. If yeah, you're, I was going to say, okay. Yeah, okay. You're, yeah, you're sure. like a wealthy person, but right. like you might have your house in Metro Detroit. Sure. And then because we have the great north that we have up, up north Michigan, you might have Second a house yeah. up north, Traverse City, Petoskey, all those places. Yeah. And then quite a few people like to have a home down in like Florida, you know, or down of course. in Arizona of course or something they do. like that. You know, it's fairly normal for us to insure someone that has three homes. Well, this person's third home was like outside of the ordinary because instead of it being up north and in Florida and then where this person lives, that third home was like 15 miles away from hmm. their base home of operation. And it
1: wasn't like an income property or an investment. Well, so, the, well, so the, I mean? you're,
0: of course, then right. like as you, as his agent, you're calling him up and going, "Okay, like you know, who's living in this house? Yes, like this? if it's if it's right. vacant, if it's sure. if it's unoccupied, like insurance companies don't like that because like anything can happen. So, so like, well, who's in this house? I don't want to tell you." Well, why don't you want to tell us that? I mean, like, is there a bunch of college kids living in the house? Sure. Like it's near Oakland University. Like maybe right. it's like, right. and, and those are not uninsurable, but like, yeah, they're harder to insure. Like a bunch of college kids are a rough house in the house. No, 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 no. As an Airbnb? Cause Airbnb. Can, no, no, not an Airbnb. Well, who lives in your house? It turns out to be this particular owner's mistress mm. lived in the mm. home. And so now we're dealing with all these things. And I mean, I'm like, okay, I'm like taking care of it. I'm like, all right, let's make sure we get your mailing address. No, 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 no. You're not mailing this to my house. And we're like, well, where do you want us to well, you can mail it to a PO box because mm. the PO box, you know, the only person has access to it is him. So it was a funny story. One of the ones we were talking about is just because like you weren't expecting it, right? It kind of came a little bit out of the blue. The audacity,
1: the things that people
0: do. Well, I mean, look again, it's none of my business. Like whatever you want to live your life. Did you you write the
1: insurance? Of course you you did. Right. That's good.
0: Right. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm not judging over here. I don't don't care what you do with your life, but I mean, yeah, we just need to make sure that we were covering the insurance properly. But no, we had a good laugh about that one. And, you know, I had a, I had a recent uh, person came up to me and said, hey, you know, Michael, you're the insurance guy. When do I need insurance? And, and I was like, well, the simplest answer I can give you is when you have an asset worth protecting. And he's like, okay, well, I have an idea. And I was like, okay, what's your idea? He's like, well, my, my idea, that's, my, that's why I want to insure. I was like, I'm not an IP attorney here, right? Like I'm not an intellectual property. We don't insure ideas, but he was just like getting into it. And he's like, well, why can't you insure my idea? Like it's worth a million dollars. I'm like, according to whom? Like who is, the, who is right? What's this worth a million dollars? Well, so you can talk about this better than anybody, Jeff. You've helped so many businesses start. Like a lot of businesses have great ideas. That doesn't mean that they're going to be a million dollars worth in three
1: years. Right. Well, let me ask you. It actually bags. I mean, as entertaining as these stories are, there are some practical takeaways here that we can learn from as small business owners. So let's talk about that. I don't know about the first one. that we'll leave that one alone. But the second story about the idea, there is a point at which, isn't there, where an idea does become insurable when it's either protected with a patent or you know a, a, a brand that's protected by a trademark, for example. Those things can be insured, can't they?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I always and tell And maybe people, should be. And maybe should be. And I always tell someone like, I work on, you know, similar to Startup Nation, I work on a lot of startups, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of things. And like a lot of times, like those are companies that are in transition. They're building who they are yet. They don't have customers yet. They're getting outside financing. And so they're in a lot of the early stages, but that doesn't mean that they don't need to have insurance yet. I mean, there's someone I dealt with just recently and they have like a physical thing that they're taking out in the street that they're going to try to sell as a delivery mechanism. And they don't have insurance on this. And I said, well, you're putting it out on the street. Like you could do some damage. You could run into something. You could run over a person's dog. You know, you could do anything like that. Like you need to have insurance on that right now. So many people don't probably think about insurance until they have four walls and they're waiting for the customer to walk through the door. And there are so many times you need it before that.
1: And not only before then, but there are a lot of circumstances that should be covered with insurance that many small business owners don't even know what to think about. Is this Is this even, they don't even think about this and insurance, whatever that this is. I mean, even me, I've learned, you know, even from, I've learned from you. There are things that can and should be insured in your business. And that's why you need an expert, right? Yeah. To help you figure all that out.
0: You need an expert to figure it out. And, and we're willing to have any conversation. And I'll, uh, I'll give you another example. I thought this was pretty funny. Is this happened a couple of months ago and a young gentleman wanted to insure a piece of art. And we insure art, we insure jewelry, we insure furs, we insure whatever, you know? And so what he wanted to insure was this piece of art for a hundred thousand dollars. And I was like, okay, well, that's great. But we need to, it's after a certain threshold, which it can, it depends on which uh, insurance company you're working with. Sometimes it's 5,000, sometimes it's 10,000, sure. sometimes it's 25,000, but a hundred thousand dollars, we needed to have appraised. And so when we, the appraiser went there, I asked him, I said, well, what's, what did it appraise for? And he said, pretty much the cost of the paper. <laughs> the cost of the paint, right. And the cost of the frame. And I'm like, right. Really? Like, well, what type of paintings? He's like, I think the guy did watercolors.
1: I think Mm. he did it himself. The point here is that you're not insuring sentimental value. You're insuring market value, right? Absolutely. against market value. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: I just, and I I got a a great kick out of that. And I I told it to the the person like, look, like we can't insure it for a hundred thousand dollars when it's not worth a hundred thousand dollars. Now in some scenario, could you insure it for a hundred thousand dollars? I don't know. I'm not going to because I'm not going to essentially lie to the insurance company or anything like that. But what I will tell you, Jeff, is like, you might say, well, in our building we've got, maybe it's actually $500,000 worth of stuff, but I want to insure it for a million dollars. I just want to have more insurance than I think I need just before safe reasons. Well, here's the thing. If you do that, you're going to get a premium for a right. million bucks. You're going to pay in the million in, in terms of premium. Yep. hundred yep. percent. And then say you have a fire and it wipes it all out. Well, guess what you're claim. Gonna, yeah, what, yeah. You're, what you're going to get money for is $500,000. Yeah, right. $500, you're going to have paid against a million. And you're going to pay it against a million. So it doesn't make a lot of sense for you to overpay. You want to be honest and you might want to like be a little bit trend up. Like, Hey, if it's worth 52,000, say 55,000 or something like that, but you definitely don't want to overinsure And you 100% don't want to underinsure because if you have stuff that's worth $500,000 and you go in there and say like, well, I'm trying to keep my premium way down. So I'm just going to tell them that I have a stuff worth a hundred grand. Look, maybe for 10 years, you get away with it, but you have that one instance, you have a a flood, something that happens and you lose all the equipment. Guess what? They're giving you that check for yeah, hundred thousand dollars. Of course. And now you're not replacing any of that stuff.
1: Well, it's all interesting. You know, these stories are colorful, but there are takeaways and things we can learn. And boy, have you been helpful to us across the year, Michael. We really appreciate you being on and guiding us. And, you know, I I mean, as I said, I learned things. I did. I absolutely learned from you on the show, and I know others did too. You're with Capnick Insurance Group. capnick has been around a long time.
0: Yeah, just finishing our 75th year in business, starting in Adrian, Michigan, grew to Ann Arbor, Michigan, Troy, Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan, down in Toledo. I mean, like, now we are everywhere, and... Wherever you are in the country, we can work with you. I work with clients in California. I work with clients in Florida. I work with clients in Texas obviously a lot in the Midwest. Working with a client right now in New York City. So we can go wherever you are. And the best way to find us is go to capnick.com yeah. and uh, you know just look for Michael Spath.
1: Michael Spath. And and your focus is small business. I mean, specifically, you're not just at Capnick and we're not here just talking about small business. You focus on this. You make this your really your area of expertise. It's the number one most yeah.
0: important thing to me because I was a small business owner. And as a small business owner, I understand, again, the sweat, the blood, the the passion, everything you put into it. For these people, it's not just about money. It's about like their lifelong dream sure. often. It's about I have this great idea that I want to ensure. Well, <laughs> now I've I've turned it into something tangible. Right, right. And I don't want to see those people if the worst case scenario happens. And this past summer in Michigan, we had so many storms, and the worst case scenario happened in a lot of different places. And I was just driving through Ann Arbor a couple of weeks ago and there was a building that was completely burnt out. You know, it had a fire and everything was gone. And I look at those and I say, like, Well, all I hope is in those cases is that that small business owner had the proper insurance for them so that it's devastating. I can't imagine sitting there watching your place go up in flames, Right. but at least you know your insurance agent, I'm going to step up there next to you, look at that and go, we're going to rebuild this thing piece by piece, exactly what it was before. Everything that you put into this, you're going to get out of this from the insurance dollars so that you can start, you know, it's not going to be in a month, Right. might not be in six. But at some point, again, you're going to be able to run this business exactly with the way that you were before.
1: Right. I mean, it not only is someone's dream as a small business owner, but it's also a family's livelihood at stake. And if you don't do it right, and if you don't have the coverage, one mistake like that can be catastrophic. So we don't want anybody out there in the Startup Nation communities making those mistakes. And we need your guidance and your help. And uh, again, Michael Spath, been a great friend. Thanks so much for being on and, you know, being a good friend of the entrepreneurial community. We'll have you on again soon. Appreciate it. Sounds good. All right. Well, that closes us out. Another great Startup Nation show. Back next week. Join us as always right here at this spot on your dial for Startup Nation Radio. The
0: preceding program was furnished by Startup Nation Media Group.